This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora, welcome to Bookends with Maren Rout and Ruth Todd. And Maren, you have a beautiful book in front I of you. I certainly do. It's called In the Company of Gardeners. It's by two Otatahi people, photographer Juliet Nicholas and writer Sue Allison. And my book this week um, kind of ties in with the gardens because it's about food gardens and community gardens, and you touched on that, and I think you had one in the book, um, Food, Freedom, Community by Isa Pearl Ritchie, and I loved it. It's got lots of positive stories about what people are developing. Isa Pearl Ritchie is a New Zealand writer with a PhD in social science. She also writes novels. Fishing for Maui was named one of the best books of 2018 in the Listener magazine and a finalist in the New Zealand Book Lovers Award in 2019. Now she has written a very interesting book, Food, Freedom, Community, and this has come out of her increasingly awareness of problems with the global corporate food system and her interest led to her master's research and then to her PhD. So uh, welcome to the programme, Isa. Thank you, Ruth. It's great to be here. Well, the thing that I got out of this book was your emphasis on the solutions rather than the problem. I mean, you, you, not, you outline the problem, but then you get straight on to solutions with wonderful stories about what can be done and what is already being done, especially in your area in the Waikato. Yes. Um, well, because this was a topic of research for me for a number of years, I really wanted to focus on something that was kind of empowering and energising and, and solutions that people were coming up with rather than just problems because I knew quite a few people that had been engaged in, in research about problems, including problems like food scarcity. And it was so draining for them to focus on that for years at a time to do a PhD or, or other long research projects. And I really I was really excited about what I was seeing in the community around um, vegetable gardens, community gardens, all sorts of kind of food activism and local solutions that people were coming up with. Uh, so I wanted to focus on those things and um, and it, w- it worked quite well because I kept uh, maintaining my interest in it over those years as opposed to getting drained by, by the issues. Your focus is on alternative food networks and uh, food sovereignty. What do you mean by food sovereignty? Uh, That's a good question. So food sovereignty is a term that was really deliberately created by an international peasant group called La Via Campesina made of local farmers, migrant workers um, and and peasants in, in various countries around the world. And they came together because they felt like they were being disempowered by what was happening at the time in the guise of food security, where these big companies were coming in and saying, oh, we'll produce a whole lot of monocropped corn and we'll call it a food security initiative, but it was on land that Indigenous people were being kicked off of so they could do that. And it wasn't really security for those people. And so they created food sovereignty to to be really deliberately about uh, local 
justice, social justice, environmental focuses so that it couldn't be uh, co-opted in that way that food security had been uh, by big corporations. Right, yes, I can understand that. And um, you're really not happy about supermarkets, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think probably a lot of us have love-hate relationships with supermarkets. They're they're so convenient, they have a lot of good things and they're, they're necessities for a lot of us. But at the same time, you can go into a supermarket and feel like there's so much disconnection there. And it's not necessarily the supermarket that's the cause of that disconnection. They're just part of a, a big chain of disconnections in our society and in our, our food system. Um, and, I mean, it, it would be lovely if all food could be locally sourced and sustainable and that sort of thing. We're not really quite there yet. So most of us do have to rely on supermarkets. And supermarkets probably have a lot of good things as well as as challenges that relate through their supply chain. You also focus on permaculture. Yeah, well, permaculture is quite interesting because it is a, it's a design system, a sort of sustainable, um, complex systems design system. It's not necessarily just about gardening. It's got a number of different principles. And I didn't know much about permaculture when I first started the research, but as part of my research, I did some permaculture training in the community that I was researching in, and that actually became part of the methodology for my for my thesis, um, which is academic speak, obviously. Um, but because it's a design system, you can use it to design anything. Um, and it's I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an avid permaculturist, but I do find it a, quite an interesting system for for thinking about things that are complex. Yes, and some of the people you interviewed to talk to were um, quite really keen about it, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, not all of them, but no. some of them were quite um, quite sort of uh, practised, experienced uh, permaculture gardeners. I talked to um, people that were doing a lot of their own gardening. I t- talked to um, Māori, sort of more traditional Māori-style gardeners, people that were involved in various sorts of food businesses, um, including catering and cafes with a local food focus. So tell me some of these stories because they are delightful and they are so positive and these people are just growing, growing, growing and just, you know, developing wonderful skills and all over the country I sort of feel that's happening now. Yeah, that's right. Was there any particular story you wanted me to talk about? Well, I liked the story, um, the story about the bees um, with Kelly. Was it Kelly? Yeah. And I liked I liked all of them really. You might have a fav- favourites, but um, uh, there's just so many of them. So you choose. One of my, one of my favourite stories. I actually start off um, the book talking about this um, years ago in in Raglan, Whangaroa, where the, most of my research is based. There was a man who couldn't catch a fish in the harbour because the harbour was so polluted at that time, and he just wanted to catch fish. And it was taking hours. And he um, put up a sign around town saying, does anyone care that every time it rains, the harbour goes brown? And lots of different people came together. Some of them just wanted a nice view. Some of them were um, ecologists and and experts. Some of them were, were people who were just interested. And they came together and they came up with 
a really strong solution which which became Whangaroa Harbour Care and they managed to um, plant and fence off a huge amount of riparian lines around that community and uh, that's led to one of the more polluted harbours in New Zealand becoming one of the cleanest, most healthy harbours in New Zealand. And not only that, but that group of people coming together led to a whole number of other community initiatives, like the local recycling centre was created from some of those people who came together at that time. And it's just quite an empowering story of, you know, one guy who couldn't catch a fish bringing a whole bunch of people together and them working together to create a really powerful solution that then led to a huge change. That's right. Was that uh, that was Liz and Rick? Was it? Liz and Rick were very involved in yes. that. Yes. So mm. Liz and Rick also helped to create um, Extreme Zero Waste, which is the recycling centre in Raglan, which is a community-run business and employs lots of local people. So it's sort of like a sort of like a social enterprise in a way. It's got a lot more values in it than a than a typical corporation might have, and it's also led to a whole lot of other. Um, local local solutions, local kind of different ways of thinking about economics and interest is really, really important in that and in, in community. So, Asa, um, you went to Wilderland in the Coromandel. What did you find there? Yeah, well, I, I wanted to look at some examples that weren't just in Raglan and were different ways of doing sustainable food. And, and Wilderland has been going for a long time as a sustainability-focused education society, system, and um, community as well. And I wanted to look at that more. It's almost like intentional community, but is more um, sustainability education-focused. And I found a lot of similar um, similar values, no matter where I went and talked to people that were involved in local food. So a lot of values about food being real, about wanting to be connected to, to food, wanting it to be um, more part of your, your life and understanding where food comes from. And I also found that trust was really important. And a lot of the tensions that I noticed in different communities um, came up around when things were scarce, or when there were uh, when there were power struggles or things like that. And and one of the other findings um, was about the importance of people coming together in celebrations in terms of resolving tensions and bringing people into into sort of feeling like they are more connected and part of a community. I think this book will be so helpful to people who are thinking of starting, um, you know, they're just preparing to, would love to do this kind of thing, would love to grow uh, vegetables and sell to the local community. And um, and people want that, don't they? Yes, absolutely. There's a huge interest in it these days. And I think that that comes from the even just the experience of food that is really fresh and really local and how, how delicious it is and how um, how kind of people really want to feel more connected these days because there's so many disconnections in society and food is both a really personal thing and a really political, global thing as well. So I think food is quite a, an important thing to focus on, especially because we need it. You know, we need it every single day. So... 
um, I think that's one of the reasons why so many of these things are springing up all over the place. Well, thank you, Isa. Isa Pearl Ritchie has written Food, Freedom, Community, and it, um, we need these stories, the solutions. She doesn't dwell on the problems, but she has got these genuine stories that really inspire hope and and they resonated with her in the process of her research that you gathered these kinds of stories in New Zealand with a focus on our small-scale local food providers. So thank you for doing that. And it is published by Tara Aroha Press. Thank you, Isa. Thanks, Ruth. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. In the company of gardeners, inspirational gardens and inspired gardeners of New Zealand, that's the topic and the theme of this new book from photographer Juliet Nicholas and writer Sue Allison. This is the second collaboration they've done. And uh, you seem like a bit of a dream team now, if I can use a terrible <laughs> cliche. <laughs> well, it's wonderful working with a good friend and mm. obviously a very talented writer as well. So we intuit and understand each other implicitly in a way, but challenge each other at the same yes, time. we're very so. respectful, I think, of each each other, aren't we? And we, we often found if there was something bothering us, we'd come to each other and it was always bothering the other person too, yes. wasn't it? Yes. We're very much yeah. literally on the same page, I think. And we've been freelancing together for about eight years previously, so mm. we know each other pretty well. Mm. Mm. I think that comes across in the book because it's a seamless sort of transfer from text to image, text to image. Mm. And um, the subject of this new book is, of course, The Gardener's as well as their gardens. So what an interesting collection of... Oh, wonderful. You know, wonderful apart people. from Ohinatahi and Hiniwai, you know, there are so many gardens there and gardeners well, I, I, I don't know, haven't heard of. Great. That's yeah. what we want to, yeah, to yeah. hear, that there are some old favourites, but mm. some, some new ones that will become favourites in time, I think. But mm. it was about the diversity and range of gardens and all over New Zealand rather than just in one, one area. So that was one requirement that Penguin asked of us is that we get a really good regional spread. Yes, I think in a way these 18 gardens and gardeners, they represent New Zealand gardening in the 21st century, really. I mean, they've been specifically chosen, but we've really covered the range, starting with Hugh Wilson, who, when I asked if he would be in the book, <laughs> said, well, the whole point of Hinawai is it isn't a garden, <laughs> yes. which was a wonderful starting point, a regenerating native forest. Is it a garden? Yes. Like we're managing the landscape. <laughs> well, it's, it, it is a garden for, as far as we're concerned, isn't it? It's a yes. natural garden. Mm. It's, mm. it's it's Papa Tuanuku's garden, he says, Mother yes. Earth's garden. Yes. Mm. Uh, well, there's a garden right up in the Bay of Islands that um, has, you know, a family member, a daughter has taken over from her parents, but that's a historic site and has some... Indeed. Very yes. old trees yes. and plants on it. Indeed. Butler Point, which is in Monganui Harbour in the far north. And as Sue says in the text, the trees were there before humans arrived in, in mm. New Zealand and they're still in the garden. And the gardeners had generations of Māori occupation and now Pākehā population. So a really 
It's like a time lapse almost, it is, isn't it? It's the history of New Zealand mm, settlement, mm. actually, all on one property. Plus, they've got a wonderful private whaling museum there mm, for anybody mm. who wants to look at. It looks like a glorious spot, actually. Oh, mm. And then you go all the way to Joe Wakelin's um, garden in central Otago, which is a particular favourite of mine, um, being on a very dry, exposed spot. But she started from scratch. Extraordinary. And Three, 300 mils of, of rain a year and she doesn't irrigate um, because she chooses plants. As she says, they aren't just drought-tolerant, they are drought-loving. They don't like to be watered, which... It's so sensible when you don't get much rain, especially with all the issues of climate and the, the mindfulness we have these days. Yes, it's it's yeah. a real lesson in mm, how we huge. need to, to garden, in a sense, mm. isn't it? Yeah, and, um, you know, so much variety in there. Mm. You know, some people might scoff at dry gardens, but boy. Oh, beautiful. And I think she's got a wonderful marriage of native and exotics there, hasn't she? Yes, yeah. yes. And also a very realistic approach that if the garden doesn't, the plant doesn't work, um, she it doesn't survive, you know, she will replace it with something Tough else. Love. So it's, I think, the way we're going to be gardening more like this mm. in the future, actually, that we're very much more sensitive to climate and location and conditions and place and Jo's really at the mm. cutting edge of that. She is, absolutely mm. and it just blends with the uh, majestic environment so much better than a, perhaps the more traditional English garden. I agree, mm. I agree. Or yeah, she's got the, 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 you know, the most spectacular backdrop basically. Mm. But you, um, there's a couple of brother and sister mm. um Combinations with different gardens, of course. I didn't know about Hugh's twin sister, Hugh Wilson's Hillary, twin sister. With community, yeah. And she, she's included because of her involvement with the community gardens, which is another you know, hugely important part of 21st century gardening and um, growing communities, literally. And then the wonderful Palmer. Ross and team. Wendy Palmer. So Ross... Yes, he's a, he's a real the... character by the looks <laughs> oh, of things. He's delightful. And wonderful mm. plantsman and thoughtful, philosophical gardener, actually, but very hands-on and practical too, on a very windswept vertical site looking over Wellington Airport mm. and his sister Wendy um, gardens in Marlborough, and they've collaborated very closely on that garden at Wilton House together, which is open mm. to the public actually, that one I can highly recommend yes, Stunning mm. artistry, isn't it? Where he's, he's oh, the topiary The, the, the mm. parochial yes. hedges, um, topiary to mirror the Richmond Hills, it's so clever <laughs> Oh, isn't it? <laughs> well, some of these gardens you look at and think, oh my goodness, that's a huge amount of, of work you know, in clipping and doing all those things, but for all the gardeners in here, they wouldn't not be doing that, would mm. they? It's they choose, not work don't they? For they them. It's not work. That's, that's mm. They all said it's not work. We do it. And I think that whole whole mental health thing comes through. These are very contented people. And, and I think there's a lot of messages in the book about, you know, finding happiness through um, you know, keeping in touch with nature, really, and growing, and um, as well as the food production side, too, which is obviously basic. Yes, tell me about um, the, the one up in um, the Bay of Plenty. I'm just thinking Manu, Manu Paul's garden. Yes. Yes, who actually um, was a lecturer in Māori studies when I um, was doing a paper in the early 80s at Auckland University. So it was wonderful to catch up with him again. And um, He's created a, a wonderful vegetable garden on his site at Ohopi Beach. 
the all organic sort of principles and the whole Maori mataranga mm. growing and the um, very wise and wonderful man, mm. wasn't he? And, mm. and again, it's that dedication, dedication, and and just respect for the soil. Almost yes. a reverence for it. You yes. Know, get, get it right in the soil and um, everything else happens. Among other things that he's done, he established one of the first organic kiwifruit farms in the Bay of Plenty. That's right. And it was seen as yeah. slightly on the... Um, <laughs> on the fringe there. Fringe of things, <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. very much But was his the one that didn't get that blight that Yes, came that's out right. Because, yeah. of it, mm. because of the way he... Um, he figured the healthy uh, resilience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think the, mm. the bugs were growing in the poplar shelter belt or something, mm. so I thought, well, this is mm. a no-brainer. Get rid of the trees, <laughs> get rid of the bugs, and, yeah. let, and the, let the wind blow the problem away. <laughs> yes, mm. it's, it's a very edifying... Garden to well the the text and and learning about him mm. and how he goes about things and how the whole community is that's right you know, planting is for there. and yeah, it's growing wonderful. food for others and there's a lot of messages. It's one mm. of the threads and themes that goes right through many of the stories. Mm. Actually, we mm. didn't mm. necessarily consciously go looking for them, but just because we were looking at how people are gardening today, um, it was one of the dominant themes of moving away from synthetic chemicals and doing things much more organically and caring mm. for the soil and um, really relevant I think you know you'd step one step away from the whole thing regenerative agriculture and all these other things that are so high in our minds at the moment yes mm. what a what a you know wonderful um, conundrum to have to try and decide which of the gardens that you you would go to, and then I know for you, for both of you, but particularly you, Juliet, you have to time it round um, certain seasons mm. when gardens are at their best, mm. and then the time of day. It's not easy with lockdown and COVID, but no, me, this, this woman was no. phenomenal. She dashed around the yes. country. Yes, <laughs> challenges, but we we got there, and um, yeah, no. It's Do you always go together to the garden? Or that something? was the sadness, really. We had, we mm. went up the Cavity Coast together, and we went to Manu Pauls together, and but in the middle, partly with Juliet's pressure with the seasons and the mm. lockdowns and the levels, she just had to grab a ticket and go, and I couldn't always go. Mm. Mm. Um, so we missed a few roadies together, but we always collaborate. If she went first, she'd suggest, mm. Mm. and I'd say, oh, please take a photo of this. Mm. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. Yes, mm. yeah, so it all worked it out. Worked, it, worked. it comes back to that. Communication. <laughs> yeah, that's you mm. going to gardens and deciding which are the sort of salient features mm. you want to highlight in each of those mm. gardens. Yeah, and I think Juliet was masterful in because they aren't just beautiful gardens. As we say, there's a range of food forests mm. and organic mm. vegetable gardens which aren't always tidy. <laughs> That's the point. Um, yes. but the photos are so stunning. Yes, you know, yes. It, it really captures. That. Well, I have to compliment mm. you both because the text is is wonderful. You never get the sense that you're, you know, going over the same old ground. No, they so, were so inspiring. Every yeah. garden became my new favourite, and, and they were just delightful, the people. They were so inspiring. I, I just loved mulling over it for days mm. after each mm. visit. Mm. Mm. Well, it comes through in the text, and, and your responses, of course, Juliet, you have to be one of the best photographers of New Zealand gardens I'm that sure we are. have. And, Thank you. and I found great inspiration in here. This is... <laughs> One of the side. That's the well, idea. Yes. <laughs> yes, and you're not a novice to, to gardening, mm. so we hope that it works on lots of levels for everybody. Mm. Actually, I but, think so, um, yeah. There's some really detailed botanical 
information there. You just read Philip Smith's story and his approach mm. to plant selection in the Parnell Garden in Auckland. Um, there's, some, there's so much information in this book mm. that Sue's managed to... Um, you did a lot of googling. <laughs> yes. Oh no. There's so, there's uh, so, so knowledge I've got. Yeah. Gordon Collier, Julian Matthews, these real garden gurus, are, aren't they? Are yeah. Are. And many of these gardens, I guess, are available to be visited. About half of them are hmm. actually, I think, and certainly um, worth googling them to find out. But def- at least half of them are. Mm. Well, that's something for us all to do when mm, when the traffic free. light system <laughs> says go. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you both for the hard work that you've put in, into this beautiful piece of um, literature, this beautiful publication, perfectly timed for the Christmas stocking, I'd have to say. And um, I hope many people wake up on Christmas morning with this. The book is called In the Company of Gardeners, Inspirational Gardens and Inspired Gardeners of New Zealand. It's by photographer Juliet Nicholas and writer Sue Allison, and it's published by Penguin Random House. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.